Thank you for checking out this resource from Grace Chapel in Skinny Atlas, New York. If you'd like to find more like this, or you'd like to learn a little bit more about our church, you can do so by going to gconline.org. And now let's jump into this week's message. For those of you who don't know, my name is Mike Tropea. I serve on staff as one of the pastors. I'm excited to be able to share with you today. Uh, we are in the second to last week of the Sermon on the Mount series and that we've started back in February. It's been a while, but it's been a really good series as, as we've gone through verse by verse the Sermon on the Mount. And here's, here's the big theme. Here's the big idea. God and Jesus is declaring a countercultural people here on earth as it relates to the kingdom of God. So the Beatitudes, blessed are the persecuted, countercultural realities that Jesus invites us into. And he changes our motivations for why we do what we do, how we respond to different things. And, and this week, he's going to be cutting to the heart of something that's very close to us, our money. Our money. Who, who, who winces when that first word is put out there, right? I, I, I wince, but the reality is that we have, in my time being here, in four years being here, this is the second time we've talked about money and possessions. Second time. That's over 180 weeks that we've gathered and celebrated where we've talked about money and our possessions. Do you know how much Jesus talks about it in his parables? Over 25% of his parables about money and possessions. One out of every 10 verses in the, uh, the Gospels is about money and stuff. And over 2,500 verses throughout the Bible are about money and possessions, five times more than faith and prayer. And why is that? Because the reality is that Jesus knows our money and possessions can often become our God. And he wants, to say, he wants to show us where true life is as we steward them for the glory of God. And so I'm going to put that before us today and talk about what this passage of Scripture says. But before I do, I, I, I want to share with you my first, uh, my first moment of financial decision, my big first investment. So when I was 16 years old back in 2003, uh, this is the car that I got. This was Ramona. Uh, this was my first big financial person. I, re I really wish you could tell you that this was itself Ramona, but M Ramona that I bought was the color rust, straight sheet metal, and inside was the, uh, uh, the velvet uh, full front seat and the wood veneer steering wheel that, that turned like butter, which was, not, was a very big safety hazard. And uh, Ramona was my first big decision and, uh, and financial decision. You can, you can take that off the screen, but uh, <laughs> just saying. Um, but that was my first big financial decision. And why did I purchase uh, Ramona, my 1988 Oldsmobile? Well, what was happening, uh, just to give you a little background, I grew up in a, a blue collar family. So mother worked, my stepfather worked. We had six kids in the house, the whole Brady Bunch thing going on. And so we had a blended family in that respect. And, and just to give you an idea, uh, we had as our laundry baskets, we had recycling bins from the town garage as our laundry baskets. And my mom often made cream cheese sandwiches on potato bread for our family. So it's not like we were without, but it's not like we had a lot. And my mom said, hey, uh, I'm 16 years old. She said, hey, you, re you, you have a decision to make. 
I would love to give you a car. I can't afford to give you a car. So you have to make a decision between what you want to do, which I love to play basketball. I was a sophomore on varsity in basketball, but this was my junior year, so I had to make the decision what I wanted versus what I love to do. So of course I chose what I wanted, right? And so I worked hard, I saved up the money, the, 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 the contents of my car, the, the stereo system was probably worth more than the car itself. But I was the first. I was the first of my friends to have a car. And we, again, I illegally probably put eight to 10 people in there at the time and went to Taco Bell runs. And I thought it, I was living the life as a 16 year old. And what happens when you're the first? Well, that inevitably what happens, there's someone who comes along who's the second. And they weren't a 15-year-old car. There was often brand new Jeeps that people's parents got them. And so immediately, my 1988 Ramona went out of style fast with my friends. And what happened in my heart was there was a personal identity hit to my soul. Because why? Because I was identifying with my stuff. My heart was naturally in tune with my stuff. And the money that I had invested, the, the, my, my personal identity shifted because it was, it was built on the things of this earth, not on the things that were eternal. Because there was always something bigger, better, and more. And the same thing happens with our money and possessions because they have a way of capturing our heart where it becomes our God and pulls us away from God's design for how he intended our money to be spent, which is to his glory and our good. And so I want to read with you today from Matthew 6, 19 through 24, and then we'll talk about it together. Here's what Jesus says to the thousands of people he's talking to. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So before I share with you my first point, I want, I want to make something very clear. There's no special offering happening today. There's no campaign we're journeying on right now, but the reality is I want you to know God's not out for your stuff because he doesn't need it. He wants your heart. And he wants to make sure your heart is adequately, sufficiently provided for in him. And so the first point I want to put towards you today and before you is this, is that where your money is directed reveals where your heart is invested. Where your money is directed reveals where your heart is directed. You see, there's two kingdoms that Jesus positions us in the beginning of verse 19 through 21. He says, there's, there's the kingdom of earth, where your money can be directed at, or the kingdom of heaven. And so I'll start with the kingdom of earth. We all live here and now, right? I'd hope so, or else that'd be weird. Um, anyways, but we all live here and now. 
and we live in this earth and we all have these tensions and see the things that we need, we want. When, and for, for us, it, it, it happened when one of the big purchases is, is a car, right? So we had a 2018 Highlander that we just bought as we prepare for certain things in our family. And five months in after, you know that what happens to your heart when you get a new, new to you car? What happens? You, the new car smell just hits you a little bit, right? And you're like, this is nice, right? And your heart gets drawn in. And five months into my new car, I hit a deer. Of course, why not? And it took five months to get parts. But part of me was like, why is it taking so long? Because my heart was identifying with my stuff. And any of you in the same boat over the past couple months, uh, you've seen your 401ks drop uh, 20%, and you're immediately like, okay, what do I do? Do I need to delay my decision on retirement? Do I need to immediately get more cautious? Do I need to readjust some things? And immediately our hearts tend to go around these things, and, and because that's what our hearts do with our money and stuff. And something changes in us because we're looking at the kingdom of earth as, the, as, as where our money's directed. And personally, for us, uh, just yesterday, we went to Costco and Aldi's, and we spent $300 total on groceries and uh, the things that we need. And I look afterwards after we put it away, I'm like, did we actually buy anything? <laughs> or we have seven-eighths of a tank of gas left in the car. I don't need gas, but of course, I'm going in the Costco line because gas I need. It's, it'll save me 40 cents. <laughs> Any of you else the same way? Because we identify with our stuff and there's an allure that draws us in when we have bigger, better, more. When we're, we have 15,000 or more in our bank account, we have a, this false sense of security that that's the stuff that, that is gonna satisfy us. But what does Jesus say about that stuff? Hey, it's a, it's a crummy God. Why? Because moth and rust destroy. And thieves will inevitably break in and steal. And it's not meant to satisfy your hearts. It's not meant to be the sole direction of your finances. Someone I listen to often, he says this. Hey, your stuff is destined for two places, the garbage dump or the garage sale. <laughs> right? If you think about it, it's the reality. All that we have even our most prized possessions, when we die, someone's going to sell it at a garage sale afterwards, right? Somewhere down the line, generally, generationally, or it's going to be in the garbage dump. And they're poor gods to set our hopes on. And so when we set them there, it will be insufficient for our lives. And so Jesus poses, hey, I have a better way. I have a better kingdom that I want you to view your money. If directed through this kingdom, it's going to be eternal, not temporary, like the kingdom of earth. And that's the kingdom of heaven. So what does it mean to view your money through this kingdom of heaven mindset? Well, how many of you uh, would say you believe wholeheartedly that your, the breath in your lungs, the, the stuff that you have, the money that you own is really all God's. How many of you by raise of hands or put it on the chat online would actually agree with that? Okay. 
I like the conviction in this room. Some are being honest. And of those people that say, hey, I believe it's all God, how many of you would say your financial statements and your record actually reflect that reality? You don't need to raise your hands. Just <laughs> You're good. Because I think oftentimes as Christians, we say that slogan. We believe it's all God's. But we don't actually, actually believe it with our finances and our money. Because we're more concerned about our kingdom than God's kingdom. But I believe God has designed us and designed a way for our, our money to be directed towards eternal purposes, towards eternal things, and I believe it's very simple. And we oftentimes make it super complex. So what is, our, what is God's designed to steward his resources for the kingdom of heaven? And I, I put this pithy statement together. I was like, ah, I was proud of myself a little bit when I came up with this. But here's, here's the position which I believe God calls us to steward, the lens through which God calls us to steward our money through. Give cheerfully our first and best and open-handedly steward the rest. Give cheerfully our first and best and open-handedly steward the rest. Here at Grace Chapel, we teach classes like financial peace, and, and there's all good, good things about that. But I believe this is a very simple way that accomplishes what the narrative of Scripture teaches us. And so I'm going to break it down for us first. Give cheerfully first and best. What do I mean when I say that? If you know the narrative of Scripture, you see in the Old Testament this idea of first and best at play. This idea of a tenth or a tithe, which is a tenth of what your income. In that time, it's produce, it's grain, it's all the things that God has given. And so in Genesis 14, Abram at the time that we know as Abraham, tithe the first and best to Melchizedek. That's where it was introduced on the scene. Jacob went as a tithe before the law was introduced, a first and best tithe off of the top, the choicest of his grain and his offering. And then Deuteronomy 14 positions it within the law that it says, hey, give your first and best. Why? So you rightly fear God and you realize it's all his because God wanted not to take life from them but to give them life and show that he is the sole provider of their needs. Numbers 18 continues this idea of first and best and the tithe, the firstborn, the unblemished, right? And so the narrative of the Old Testament goes up until Malachi 3, which is the close of the New Testament, where the, excuse me, the Old Testament, where, he's, where, where God is having an interchange with the people of Israel. God has just brought Israel out of exile back into Jerusalem. Nehemiah has rebuilt the wall, and they are back, by God's grace, back into the place that they were. And what is Malachi's position? He says, will you rob God? And the, the people go, how did we rob you in your tithes and offerings? Because do you know what they were doing during that time? They were actually giving their first and best to the kings of the, and the governors of the land and giving their broken, their lame, and their, 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 their uh, the, the, excuse me, the animals to God as the offering. Because it's not that God needs it but he's out for their hearts. And he was saying, this is a reflection of where your hearts are in the kingdom of earth. You're giving your first and best to there and not to me. And I just brought you out. 
Because how, how often are our hearts easily misled just like Israel? Because we think we need bigger, better, more. And then what does the New Testament introduce? Jesus, God's first and best. God doesn't withhold. He gives the Savior first and best towards us so we can be in right relationship with him. And so shouldn't we think on that, church? If God provisionally gave his first and best, then why aren't we giving our first and best to him? And the reason why I say give cheerfully the first and best, because in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 8, it says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves what? A cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Give cheerfully your first and best. It's, it's, it's a blessing to be able to participate in the kingdom. So why aren't we having with open hands say, hey God, this is all yours. I'm just gonna be, I get to be a part of this. And again, God is not about a God is not about duty. He's about faithfulness in your giving. And so what do I mean when I say that? Well, if you look in Luke 21, the widow's offering, right? We, many of us know this passage of scripture where she, the widow had put her two mites into the offering and all these Pharisees had, had just given way more than she gave monetarily, but her faith was seen in her cheerful, cheerful giving. She gave her first and best out of the poverty that she was in. And so again, God's not about, out about the percentage as he is about your heart in which you give it. Give cheerfully your first and best. Personally, my wife and I, right from getting married, we, we, in our budgeting process, we say, hey, this, the Old Testament put forward this idea of 10%. Your, a tithe is a literal tenth. And so we have kept that throughout our marriage, even in times that we're lean. Because we said, hey, where we are being shepherded, where we are being equipped, where our daughter is being discipled, I'm gonna give my first and best and my 10th to there. Because God's church is God's plan A for the world and there is no plan B. And so that was our starting point because we see that Jesus came on the scene and if anything, he elevates the reality of our giving. He elevates that reality. So, so we started there. And I remember coming back from Dallas. We moved to Dallas while I went to seminary in 2016. We moved back, and for two years, I was making thirty dollars to $35,000 with a young family. You know how easily it would have been to be like, I, I could have used that, that $300. I could have used it for groceries and stuff. And I wanted to. But we decided because... This is what God has called us to. We want to continue to give him first and best and trust him to provisionally provide, and he has. We have never been without. And so I put that before you to say, are you giving cheerfully your first and best to God, to his local church and beyond that, to people that are, are serving eternal purposes? So that's the first point. Give cheerfully your first and best. And secondly, Open-handedly steward the rest. 
And so you'll see with me in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 through 19, uh, Paul says this. As for the rich in this present age, in church, we're the rich in this present age. Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, and what? Ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Open-handedly steward the rest. We teach here Financial Beach, like I mentioned before, in seven baby steps, right? Save $1,000, pay off all your debts. And these are all good practices, but they're practices of our American mindset. And so when I say open-handedly steward the rest, hey, I believe there's biblical principle for saving. You find it in Proverbs, save. And investing into the future and and, and, and saving for for retirement is more of a new concept, but the idea of saving for a future point in time is biblical. But we must open-handedly steward the rest to say, what if God calls you to give it all away to your brother in need? What if the Spirit challenged you to say, this doesn't make sense, but I'm going to trust you, God, because I'm open-handedly stewarding the rest of what you have given me to invest towards, your, towards what you have called me to. If we open-handedly steward the rest, we get to participate in where he calls us. But he also calls us to enjoy things. I'm not, we are, aren't a prosperity gospel church that says the more you give into the church, the more financially blessed you were. No. We are also on the other spectrum of poverty gospel. We, we, of saying, hey, you need to give it all and you need to live uh, subpar in the sense of your living. And so you just need to leave, live destitute. No, we don't believe that. I, if anything, I want the church, I want Christians to be the most rich. Why? So they can be the most generous. I just want them to be Christians first and businessmen and everything else second. So there's nothing wrong with nice new things. God gives us them to enjoy for his glory. But it's when those things have precedence over our hearts is where it gets dangerous. And so church, are we open? Are we giving cheerfully our first and best to God? And are we open-handedly stewarding the rest? Because I believe the narrative of scripture shows that reality with regards to how to handle our finances And so two questions before I move to one of my, my final point is this. Which kingdom is your money directed at today? If I were to ask you, is your, is your money directed at the kingdom of earth? Or is your money directed at the kingdom of heaven? Is, is, your, is your money more so serving you or is it serving God? And we like to sometimes like say in the middle, well, I'm going to serve, you know, I'm going to serve money and I can serve God. No, no. If you read Jesus at the end of that passage, it says you can't serve two masters. Either you love one or hate the other. And you can't serve money. God. So which way is your money directed at today? And the second question is this. This one might pierce, pierce my heart when I think of it. What are you justifying today that's keeping you from living out God's design for your money? What are you justifying today? 
that's keeping you from living, giving cheerfully your first and best and open-handedly stewarding the rest. For me, I, I can justify very easily, even healthy financial principles of like, you know, I just need a little, to save a little bit more for the future. I, you know, I just need to save more. Some of us, it's health stuff. You know, the reason we don't give, we give our last and least and leftovers to God is, you know, I, I need to take care of my temple. I need to take care of my body. So I need all the, I need to spend on myself for, for self-help and self-care. You know, and then, then whatever's left over, well, you know, we might get to God. No, no. Hey, what are you justifying today that's keeping you from living out God's design for your finances, for your money? That's keeping you from living out the kingdom of heaven and you're serving the king of the earth. What are you justifying today? And so if we are positioning ourselves with our money in ways that God is in control and we are merely money managers and more so pipes that transport God's resources from one place to the other rather than containers that build up our own kingdoms, why does God want this for us? Why does God want this for us? And I believe Jesus says here the reason why. Jesus wants us to participate in radical generosity. He wants us to participate in a lifestyle of radical generosity. And so if you'll read with me again in Matthew 6, this time in verse 22 through 23, he says this. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is this darkness? So what Jesus is really saying is very simple. What you stare at is what you become. You stare at the kingdom of earth, you will become these things and your heart will be set that this is the way that your worship is to go. But if you stare at Jesus, if you adore Jesus, your heart goes towards light. And here's in John 1, it speaks to this idea of him being the light of men. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcome it. You see, Jesus is the light of men. And he himself displayed radical generosity in the laying down of his life. And really the gospel at large, church, the gospel at large demonstrates radical generosity on a scale that we need to stare at and behold. And let me give you a rundown of the gospel just so you know. I'm sure you know, but here we go. God created the world and everything in it. He didn't need to, but he did. And why? Because he wanted to share the overflow of his beauty and his glory with us. And he made us in his image. Why? Because he was radically generous and wanted to share with it. He didn't need to, but he did. And we walked with him and he said, hey, I don't, even, I don't only want to share this with you. I want you to cultivate what I've made. I want you to take in what I'm doing. And we walked with him and it was good. But you know how the story goes, and we live in light of the realities of our decision to sin and choose our own way, choose our self-glory. And we live in those realities today. Look around us. 
We can look around a culture and I can name 1,900 things that are wrong and look within us. We still fall short. We deserved hell. We deserved separation. But the beauty of the gospel, right at the beginning, at, at the decision of sin that entered the world, he said, I'm going to make a way. And what did he give? His first and best. And the first and the best came into the world, understood what we walked through, walked perfectly as the unblemished lamb, and went to the cross on our behalf. He gave his life for ours, the perfect sacrifice. So no longer is there separation for those who believe in Jesus Christ, but the first and best was given. So out of his radical generosity, we can be in relationship and, and with him if we believe in Jesus. And that he didn't stop there. <laughs> he invites us in by his Holy Spirit to the kingdom of radical generosity, a kingdom marked by love and generosity that gets to engage in pushing back darkness in this world. That gets to engage with sharing the life and the light of Jesus to a world that needs it. And what was birthed out of after Jesus rose from the dead, his church? Acts 2, 42 through 47 talks about this reality. What did it say happened after they realized the immensity of the story they, be, they were a part of and the Jesus that was here? They gave as any had need. They were shared with them and no one had need. Radical generosity was because of what Jesus had done and they were participating and we are recipients, recipients of that grace today. And Jesus invites us in to that kingdom by his spirit to be radically generous and participate in that lifestyle within his local church and within the communities that we live and serve. Personally, we, as a family, myself and my wife and my daughter, Aurora, a part of our story is that we are actually walking through the adoption process personally. Um, and so God had put this on our hearts uh, a long time, about a year ago when her heart, my, my heart a long time. And if you know anything about international adoption, it's not cheap. <laughs> it's $50,000 for our adoption process. But God called us to it, so I believed he was gonna provide for it. And to this day, we are $12,000 away from paying that in full. Why? Because people's radical generosity within this church family. People that have means and people that don't. I had a guy this week that I met that I met at a retreat down a pastor's retreat. I went to end of May. He doesn't have hardly any money from East Tennessee, and he said, "Hey, I want to give towards it." He gave two hundred fifty dollars towards it. I know God's going to accomplish it because of people's radical generosity on our lives and God's provision. And if not, there will be made a way because God's called us to it, and He will see us through it, not to make more of my kingdom, but make more of His. And we are the church as well that is founded on the people before us and their radical generosity. And I want to share a few photos with you. This is the church, Grace Chapel 45 plus years ago. The carriage house on the end, this is what it looked like. <laughs> but people believed God, believed in his gospel, and stood together and say, I will give my time, my talent, and my treasure. And this is what it became after that. You'll see you know, the fellowship hall that was built on people's Saturdays that the church members just came together and built it. And this is a picture of our building today. 
that is paid off debt-free so we can do the work of ministry. Why? Because of your radical generosity and the people that went before us. So thank you, church. And that's, we don't celebrate a building, but we celebrate this, that we can gather. Lives are affected. Over 100 kiddos, zero to fifth grade, can now, are now participating in our Grace Kids ministry because they're next. But why is it because of your radical generosity and belief on the gospel? This is also something we participate in called the Hope Outreach Center. People had a dream years ago <laughs> to say, hey, we're not only called to our local context, we're called to a global context. This is where in Nagaland, India, I don't know, I think 2000, 2003, I can't remember, but this was our people that radically gave of their money and their time. And from that time over 20 years ago, hundreds of thousands of dollars have been invested by this church alone to participate in, in extending the gospel of God's, God's grace towards the people that is predominantly Hindu in Nagaland, northeast part of India. And this is what exists today. Because of your generosity, these, if you want to sh share the next one, it's these lives that are affected because of your generosity, church. Because you are pushing, yes, we celebrate that. Because these... These are the eternal realities that you have been a part of. And I'll leave you with this last example. This is more personal, just to show you an extent beyond my story, but another, another church member, this, just this week, I get these calls all the time. They have been radically transformed by Jesus over, the, over 20 years. And one church member this week was telling me, 20 years ago, they, they, had, they filed bankruptcy for their business that they had. So legally, if you know anything about bankruptcy, it, you don't have to pay it after it's been legally declared bankrupt. But what did this gentleman and this couple do? They said, hey, we've experienced much grace because of Jesus. 20 years later, he went to the person that they owed money and they paid it all back. They didn't have to. But because they realized the gospel and they wanted to advance the kingdom of Christ, they stepped into it and are paying back. And they were the people that were like, what are you doing? They thought they're crazy. Radical generosity because of Jesus Christ and what we get to be a part of, church. And so I want to leave you with the application side beyond that. And it's just pretty simple. If you don't know Jesus today, my heart for you is to, to know him, to to your heart to be changed by him, to understand that we, we deserved something else. We deserved hell. We deserved separation for our sin. We deserved what Satan had to offer, but Jesus came at just the right time to pay for our sin and death so we could have life. And this, this radical light can be yours by believing in him and trusting in him. So if you don't know him today, I invite you to come up to me after service, put it in the chat, and we'd love to reach out to you or come up to these, this prayer team afterwards and say, hey, I want to know more about who this Jesus is. And for those of us who do know Jesus today, I want you to ask honestly. Ask honestly. If you're single in here today, maybe bring some community around you and say, hey, this is my finances. Are these aligned with what God has designed to give cheerfully my first and best to the local church and beyond? and open-handedly steward the rest. Or if you're married, I want you to ask, hey, do our finances align with that reality? I want you to be challenged because Jesus challenges our hearts because he loves us. 
He doesn't want you to do duty. He wants your love and your adoration. And after you ask honestly, I call you to make adjustments. Give to your local church. If this is where you're stewarded, if this is where you're shepherded, if your kids are being discipled there, give. Trust and be faithful on an ongoing basis towards your local church and eternal causes. And lastly, get help. We know the context we're in. We can come away with student loans of 60, 100 something thousand dollar student loans and you may feel like, you can, how can I? We wanna assist you in that process to say, hey, continue to trust God to give your first and best. And we wanna walk with you how to manage well. And so we have people come up to the prayer team after, we'll link you up with people that can help you walk through how to your God has designed your money. Hey, this is because Jesus loves us, not because he wants to rob us, because he wants to free us to live in the light. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for pursuing our hearts. Thank you for sending your first and best to redeem us from what we deserved. And you didn't just redeem us, you gave us purpose. You gave us the ability to participate in extending your kingdom. What a privilege. And God, I pray your spirit convicts in ways where we can use your resources through your local church to make an impact in our communities for your glory and our good. God, realign our hearts today to steward your resources, to understand we're not a bank, but we're a pipe that just delivers your resources from one point to the other that is eternal. God, break our hearts from the bondage that we have to be aware of your goodness towards us. We need you, Holy Spirit, working us, and I pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.